futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 40 of the podcast, the topic is Evolving Startup Ecosystems. Our guest is Christian Nagel, founder of VentureLane, business angel and expert on go-to-market strategies, communication and international rollout. In this conversation, we talk about tribal community building, networking, funding, scaling startups mid and post COVID-19, startup hubs, how to achieve critical mass, innovating in edge cities, the EU versus the US versus Asia, learning from failure, angel investing, mentoring, and a tech community in Boston. Quick word from our sponsor. Do you have business challenges where you would like high quality external input from experts? Yegi is an insight network with access to on-demand teams made up of select talent from thousands of experts. Check out Yegi at archives.yegi.com. That's Y-E-G-I-I. Christian, how are you doing today? Awesome, thank you. Just coming through the rain from Wellesley into Boston. But other than that, actually, with the fifth uh, or sixth month of the pandemic, could do better, I thought. You know, I didn't quite realize you, you also live out in... Uh, uh, out west, yeah. In, uh, in Wellesley proper. In Wellesley, yeah. Well, you know, next time we're going to have this podcast in person, outside. It's raining today, but uh, I also live there, so we can... Uh, <laughs> See in fact, I've been I've been trying to scope out how to do a, a an outdoor podcast in one of the coffee shops. You know, mm. even during the pandemic, I think inside is going to be a little tricky because they they will, uh, you know, you'll have to be wearing a mask. I, I'm going to try to do some recordings with with mask and without, but I, I don't mm. think it's a great idea. Anyway, these are the struggles and tribulations of a of a podcast host. I I wanted to get into some of your super exciting background, Christian, because. You are on the podcast because you have done something pretty extraordinary. You came to Boston a few years ago, and instead of, I guess, uh, you know, sitting down and saying, you know, I'm going to get myself a regular job, you just said, I'm going to start a innovation environment. I'm going to start, uh, you know, an innovation house, uh, mm-hmm. Venture Lane Boston. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you have marketing background from. Germany and from a Swedish company called Let's Buy It. Mm-hmm. So you've been in e-commerce for a long time. Uh, and and then as I was digging up your background, you seem to have a business background and business degree from various German universities, including EBS. Mm-hmm. And then I think before that you were in Munich. So this mm-hmm. is what I have been able My to hometown. uncover. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So this is what I've been able to uncover about you. Um, but you have kind of put yourself here uh, as a little bit of a coach, advisor, but also a facilitator, more importantly, of startup ecosystems. And that's why we're here today. I wanted to kick this off, Christian, by asking you this. What, um, in all of your doings, uh, you know, in your past, what, what is it that set you up for, for doing this? What is it that, uh, in your background, that prepared you for becoming basically a startup ecosystem organizer? Mm. Good, good question. And uh, John, uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, really glad to be on your podcast and um, uh, looking forward to the next hour. 
Listen, uh, what sets you up for being an entrepreneur even? You know, uh, sometimes, you know, many ways uh, lead to, to what you actually finally become. I think there's a couple of strands. One is I always love to lead. And that started, you know, in school and Boy Scouts and, you know, playing, playing uh, multiple sports, being a, being a captain at school. Uh, down to uh, I loved environments that are not so hierarchical, where things are happening quite fast, fast-moving environments. And when I came out of school, so that was a really nice uh, coincidence. That was in 1995 out of university. Uh, that is then where just the internet started. So I actually got to work on my first internet project already in 1996. And that gave me a red line that is following me until today is actually the internet and all the things that you can do uh, that are new. You know, you can can be innovative and not too many people know what to do. Like at, at the very beginning, there's a small circle. And I was lucky enough to be just through my uh, through my age to be at the at the right time. And then later on. You know, I worked in in always in a startup environment, as it as it turned out later on, and I really learned and I wanted to learn the trade and the craft of being an entrepreneur. So starting your own company and doing these two three hundred things and mastering the two three hundred things that you need to do to start a to start a company. So I think that kind of set me up, and then I started mentoring, advising, loved that, passing on the wisdom and maybe a couple of war stories. Um, receiving a lot of that feedback and also wanting to give back. And uh, after our last venture in Australia, we moved here to Boston about three years ago. And I did a bit of a soul searching of what would I want to do with my life in the in the future. And people were in in that in that uh, in that answer. Uh, ecosystem was in that answer. Startups were in the in those answers. And all that together led actually to, to VentureLane, uh, which is a startup hub, uh, meaning a community of curated companies and people that are in here that like to support themselves. We support them to, to uh, get to a Series A to a later stage successfully, um, but also you know providing a platform, be it, um, be it here with, with our office facilities, uh, or you know the the different events event series that we started. So building a platform and giving back, and you know trying to support the tech scene and the entrepreneurial spirit as good as I can. Well, we'll get into a lot of uh, of that. I'm I'm curious uh, about how you see the Boston startup ecosystem scene now. You know, within you know in the middle of COVID and and also going forward. And I'm interested more, you know, also more generally in, in startup ecosystems and your experience from around the world. But before that, you said something that I wanted to, uh, to catch. You said the craft of being an entrepreneur. It's an interesting word, craft, right? And it, it, in German and, and, you know, in sort of languages uh, in, in Europe, craft has a very specific meaning because, you know, it's a historical way of learning something. It's not just... Uh, a, a random phrase. Tell me a little bit about how that led to kind of your community-based approach, because a craft, right, is something you learn in a collective type of mentorship with, uh, you know, with master and apprentice, really. 
Yeah. So I believe there's probably two things that come together here. One is the craft. So really knowing and mastering your environment. And I think, I believe that actually you always come down or many times you come back to your core craft. In, in, in my instance, that was, that was marketing that, that I learned and I loved it because that was understanding people and how they would under communication. That was just right up my alley. And then I kind of was able to grow that into, well, understanding a little bit more about technology, understanding more about finance, understanding more about, you know, fundraising and product. So that over time, like I call it a bit university of life. I, 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 uh, I learned that craft of what are the, all of the components that you need to have. And then, but I also understood that there's a second side to it, which is your personality. And sometimes it just works out quite fine and is, is perfect. And sometimes it's a real struggle and sometimes it just doesn't work at all. Um, you know, and, and in a way, even that is for your personality. I use this, you know, having my craft or being an entrepreneur that gave me a lot of feedback to become the human being that I'm today. And hopefully that's a little bit better, a little bit more advanced, a little wiser than uh, maybe 20 or 25 years ago. Um, but that got all into influenced and came together. And I think in my, in my, uh, instance, uh, from my personality, I'm adventurous. I'm, I love doing new stuff. I, I don't like, uh, red tape and bureaucracy. I wouldn't have, I would have probably not survived in a big, uh, a multi-thousand, uh, people company. So that was just about the, the right fit for my character and the craft that I learned, and on top of it, the circumstances that was the rise of the internet in the last 25 years that led to being me being an, an entrepreneur. Well, I'm interested in, in, in this idea of a lot of people wanting to be entrepreneurs because it, it can be good and bad, but I guess the way that you frame it now, it strikes me how important it is to actually have the identity of an entrepreneur, or at least the idea that you could be an entrepreneur in this day and age, because some of the values that you were just talking about this, be you know willing to explore, being interested in, in, in everything and anything, and also being willing to learn, you, you mentioned two to 300 things. There are so many things that goes into uh, being an early stage startup person, you have to take on so many roles. And as you pointed out, it's not just about skills. It's this craft that you're talking about. It goes into your personality as well. It goes much deeper because at the very basic levels of an organization, nothing is set in stone, right? So it challenges you in, in, a, in a, every fiber of your being has to be part of, of, of what it is to create a startup. Can you say a little more about that and how you have experienced that. Um, and then let's get into some of the differences because you have this rich background of, well, you now mentioned Australia. I didn't even think of that. But I just find these kind of international comparisons kind of interesting too. But but first, uh, to my to my question on... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe a little side story before I, I talk to, a, to an Australian startup called Fingerprint for Success. Actually, they do personality tests and they have... And thousands of entrepreneurs in their database, and you can actually go through a set of questions. And at the end, it gives you actually the you know, are you are you set out to do this? 
And um, I think it comes down if you if you take a couple of models, there's about five percent of the uh, population are actually set out from a personality type to become an entrepreneur with all these things. What she what she says interestingly in this current framework that where the entrepreneurs are doing well in business, like here in the United States, for example, people do terribly with the pandemic because they need there's a lot of red tape and you need to follow rules and all of that stuff and you know, there's just certain characters that are not good following this because you want to break rules and you want to and, and do then, your own thing. Yeah, exactly. And you do want to do your own yeah. thing. So following like the rules that somebody else sets to you is like totally uh, contra contradictive to, to that. But, you know, then that shows you how a pandemic, for example, unveils that sometimes following the rules in the right moment is probably the right thing. But I thought this actually really funny because they're doing a lot of uh, a lot of research around, you know, what goes into an entrepreneur. Um, I think, frankly, I was, I had one Maxim for, like for, for me, like one guiding principle. I was curious. I knew that I was not the academic, uh, from the, from the get go so much. I was the practical guy. So I worked, I don't know, every single odd job that you can imagine. So by the time right now, I must have probably had like 50 jobs or something like that. And all, and we lived on, on three different continents with all of this, actually, that gave me a great um, room for perspective, seeing life from different angles, from different cultures. And I think, frankly, in a broader sense, that lets you also be a better leader uh, um, and a better entrepreneur. But as an entrepreneur, you are the figurehead of your company. Your company is a little tribe, you know, might be 10 people, might be 100 people, might be 1,000 people, but it's also about the the guide guidance of people and and developing a certain culture, for example. So I think that really set me up for you know the, the vast uh, palette of jobs that I've done in the past, but also some cultures that we were lucky enough to dive into. That gave me the perspective that helps me now having a really good gut feel and knowing who I am and what I want, but also what is really good in different aspects of business, for example, or interaction or communication and things like that. So I think that is a, this is a, is a big one. And I, you know, I, I can only, I can only um, recommend everybody if you have the chance to kind of change your perspective, be it that you move somewhere or that you do something completely different. I think that enriched my life a lot. And in the end, also the outcome of what, what we have done in the past. Well, it's so true what you're saying, uh, Christian, about the perspective only arising through comparison. And I, I guess that's why I wanted to ask about this global perspective, because I've, I've also experienced that. And, and you know, let's use that when we think about what, what a startup ecosystem is and what it needs, because you have seen those ecosystems, presumably, in at least three different cultures. So if you were to think about the differences between, I guess, Germany in this case, and the US in terms of the uh, very precise differences in the startup ecosystems. What are the things that you've seen in Germany working and not working? And what are the things that you were sort of bringing with you uh, into your thinking of, of making contribution in, in Boston, which by the way, arguably, um, and, and let's talk about this, arguably Boston already had a startup ecosystem. So it's just super interesting that you came here and said, yeah. <laughs> something is missing and I'm going to, place myself here and, and make my, you know, little contribution. 
T- tell me, you know, so what was it in Germany that you have been picking up on that is important to startups? And, uh, and maybe, you know, is that some of the things that you brought that is different with Venture Lane from mm-hmm. some of the existing initiatives that are here? Uh, maybe, a, you know, out from universities or, or from other places uh, around Boston? Yeah. I mean, every place is, is so different. I mean, you look into Boston, Boston is the fifth largest startup ecosystem in the world. So it's like pretty high up and very, very, very developed, um, I would say. So frankly, you know, what it wasn't so much the national perspective that I brought from either Europe or from, from Australia. It was probably... Uh, I found an environment that let me gather my experiences, um, test things out. Like, you know, if you bring the same product into a different market, you need to change all your messaging, your communication and understanding that if you have a recipe, you need to actually need to adopt and be very agile wherever you go. I guess that that in general helps me. I think this is very special in Europe. As you go, you know, you have 27 countries in the EU and, you know, like you just go from Germany into Austria or you go into France. And, you know, I've been part of a couple of startups that uh, that did quite a bit of an expansion in, in, in Europe. So the awareness of different cultures and different trends and here in the US, it might be different personas or different industries. I think there's a lot of uh, awareness around like, OK, you need to fit this. Uh, within the context of people. And it's probably even clearer because you have borders and you have cultures and languages to do so. But I think on the uh, consumer side in the US, I mean, very savvy consumer companies are very aware if they're doing a launch in Chicago that they will do that different from a launch in New York or or in LA. Absolutely. By the way, this is one of the biggest mistakes that I see, uh, for example, European countries or companies and entrepreneurs doing here in the US is they look at the US as one country and it's really not like I think there's about 200 and over 250 media markets in in the U.S. alone. If you pick the right ones, actually, you might have better conversion than anywhere else in in Europe. But you know, in Europe, I think you look at each con- country as like its own unit, which is probably partially true, partially not true. So having this awareness um, uh, really helped me. Uh, understand better and looking, for example, at the U.S. as is not just one unit, but like very different uh, different units. I think what I took away from Europe and in Australia uh, were like, how do you how do you uh, how do you address? Uh, frankly, I learned the craft from the bottom up, so this is what I learned there. Um, I am still like I am very happy to be in Boston right now because I think there is. It's one of the few places in the world, I would even say, where all the different factors for perfect startup ecosystem actually really come together. And the funny thing is, it most most of the time that starts with education in universities. Wherever you see a big uh, startup ecosystem developing, usually universities were there maybe already for hundreds of years. So yeah. obviously Boston has a big big advantage there, but that then brings people, you know, they have ideas, they're innovative, they're starting companies, they make money, they want to put money back into the community, or even, you know, start something like a like a venture capital firm or a private equity firm. And then all of a sudden, there is an ecosystem of people that would want to support you, want to support you. 
but then also you know want to put money um, into your company and then you're you're really starting that this whole thing actually is really taking off any surprises so you've been in Boston now for a few years uh, any surprises any evolutions that you have seen in the Boston ecosystem how, how do you see this uh, system actually evolving because a, an ecosystem doesn't stay the same that's kind of goes uh, with the metaphor right it's uh, it's constantly evolving yeah yeah as a, like as somebody who moved here, I was surprised the kind of inferiority complex that Boston has towards New York. It's like, oh, you know, we want to be New York. It's like, no, you're Boston. Like, this is totally fine. You're doing really well here. You you're punching above your weight. I think that yeah. that surprised me a little. Um, I think the universities here do a really good job in fostering entrepreneurship. However, I was actually still surprised that. It might take another five or 10 years to even get more sophistication of this. Because if you think like you have the best engineering school in the world, MIT, now that should churn out 20, 30, 40 awesome companies uh, if, if you think about it. So how do you, as a university, how can you foster this and how can you give this these ideas a room? And I think... I thought that maybe there's even more of an answer to this in the university system. And, you know, Harvard and MIT are already doing a good job. You have other universities like Babson, Northeastern, ECBU that, you know, do a good job there. But I think there can be more understanding on how academia actually can realistically help shaping and forming a great, uh, not only startup ecosystem, but actually great companies. Um, and then there's, you know, there's then the transition from academia to to the real world, which which I thought might have been a little bit farther, but I think we're 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 getting there. Other than that, uh, I love the ecosystem and and what Boston has uh, specifically is like this really strong life sciences and really strong B two B tech bit, which is unique probably in the world. Um, and that that uh, leads to a couple of really wonderful overlaps between the life sciences and healthcare sector and technology. Yes, which is uh, you know a, a very fruitful type of overlap if you think about what what might be needed here in the, in the future for sure. So, um, what are some of the companies that you have come across and that you now work with um, that are exemplifying some of this uh, entrepreneurial? Uh, ecosystem building that that you are engaged in, so you know, it could be companies that are in venture lane, you know, in your physical space right now, or or others that you just uh, you know care to mention that are have inspired you in some way. Yeah, I have. Um, so so venture lane usually focuses on early stage ventures that are pre serious. I usually take they have taken a little bit of money already, be it in a pre seed or seed like sometimes two, four, sometimes seven, eight people. Um, and and it's really like guiding everybody to kind of a repetitive or repeatable process for a Series A where you really have like a go-to-market fit. So we were actually very lucky to, uh, one of the first companies that joined VentureLane about one and a half years ago was Care Academy. Um, and Care Academy um, you know, has, a, has a great and fearless uh, leader with, with Helen Adiosan, who uh, came here of uh, Harvard, um, the education school. And Care Academy, just, you know, they just got a really great Series A. Uh, what I love about them is actually it, 
there the really the vision comes together of what they're doing is they're giving uh, care they're they're educating and upskilling caretakers but remotely so it's we're looking at one of the biggest challenges in our healthcare system is like people getting older and older and on the other they need more and more help but then how do you upskill people how do they uh, how are they able to give you the right care how do you make sure that the checks and balances are in place when a human being uh, helps another human being and that on scale. So they build like a really tremendous uh, platform to actually educate caregivers. And so the, the pandemic, the, 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 the overall market momentum came together and they, they really pulled off a really awesome series A, but I love the vision of actually upskilling people in a, in a field of need and, Hopefully that keep, goes even further outside of the United States where you can actually give an education platform to people that, that are helping other people. Mm. Uh, another company that I've, uh, that I've seen uh, that just came across actually in the Techstars uh, um, program that I've, I've been uh, uh, mentoring was Cortex. And uh, what they did is like there, there's, as you know, here in Boston, there's a lot of data startup, startups uh, you know, handling usually uh, huge volumes of data. These guys have been working in the in the visual environment for a long, 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 long time, and they actually built a company around around data for visualization. So they give companies clues of you know if you use a campaign in a certain way, you know, blue background instead of red background, you know, gives you a better click rate. Now, this is just the, the go-to-market that they have right now. If you think in the long term, like anything that is visual, be it architecture, be it product design, you, you at some point will be able through really good uh, data analytics to find out, yeah, before I design a glass, you know, hey, I put it out to 10,000 people and I, I see exactly how this glass should actually be done or I build a new uh, skyscraper you know, or a new hotel. Like, what is it that people really find attractive? And so they're actually revolutionizing everything around data and visualization. And I found this really, uh, really super intriguing to to get that take on on data in, on a, on a visualization bit. Um, yeah, and the last one, uh, Venturelink Company, awesome French founder. Um, uh, Sylvain, um, who, who started Wispley. And the funny, funny story here is actually he, he came over from Sydney too, just a year after I came. I mean, not too many people moved from Sydney to Boston, but you know, there we were, uh, back, back again in Boston, reunited adventure lane. So he built, so he was an active whistleblower in his career. And, but he saw that there is no real whistleblower, um, uh, solution out there other than maybe a fax machine or maybe an anonymous uh, telephone line, which usually does not work. So in a world where, you know, things, be it compliance, be it uh, equality, be it, you know, some instances of sexual harassment and other things, you know, want to be heard and seen, there was not really a good solution out there. So they built a solution uh, for whistleblowing and that now became a solution for big enterprise companies for anonymous con communication. So people can actually, you empower your employees to really speak up without, um, without the control of like, well, you know what, I'm not sure if I should speak out of that, you know, that person might know my name and this is not great for my career. 
like that they are creating a whole new world of transparent transparency in the in the in the company and enterprise space which i loved and they're making great strides having offices in uh, in australia in boston and in europe and doing and really pushing hard wow so that's interesting it brings me to the question you know how do you actually source the companies that you either want to work with or want to have involved with with venture lane so you you mentioned techstar so you're you're mentoring some companies there what are some of the more active funnels for you just curious do you uh, frequent uh, all of these universities uh, mass challenge you know founder institutes or lots of different institutions that get a lot of early stage uh, startups through their system. Is that where you find these startups or do they now after a while, as you get more known, they obviously know, know about, you, you know, your, your site and your, your um, environment. Yeah. It was actually really hard. Like I, I literally started here in Boston with a Rolodex of zero. The first guy that I knew in the business world here in Boston was my real estate broker. <laughs> actually still did a great <laughs> job and introduced me to Tons of people. He's from T3. So he's a really good guy. He also found me this space here. But I literally started from zero, um, but we wanted to be here. My wife's from Boston, so we wanted to be here in Boston. And now we have about, you know, 5,000 contacts in our database. So it all started really, I mean, until today, I think 95% of the companies that are in here are re by referral. Probably not so different from a, from a funding process. You know, it's like, hey, I know somebody, maybe you want to reach out. Um, we having very close ties to the universities, to the accelerators, so Mass Challenge, um, Techstars, Founders Institute, all of these guys, where we, by the way, also give a significant amount of our time to help those entrepreneurs in, in at an earlier stage to kind of come to the stage where they would be right for us. And in a way, we are the last step of a accelerator type, and we're not an accelerator, we're a space, uh, but, you know, we usually, we, many times, we take some companies that come out of those out of these accelerators. So we we and we started a whole group of these actually all these different groups working together and sharing the best practice of hey how do you get your mentor how do you do these workshops all of that stuff. So we we're creating a, a also an ecosystem for the people that provide the services for the ecosystem. And then, of course, we 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 work together with like a lot of you know service providers and um, be it banks, be it uh, uh, legal companies, being accounting companies, and so we usually get our companies to you know they're usually referrals. However, due to the pandemic, actually, we kind of flipped that model. It's also very time intensive. I think we it took us about two hundred companies to get to our twenty three companies that we had by the by the start of of COVID. Um, and now uh, I think we're we're doing a really good job. We open up the the kimono and let everybody in for our program. Uh, by the way, you can always sign up for a newsletter on theventurelane.com. Um, and now we have like a full funnel of actually people that are participating in our program. So in the last five months, when since we opened up the program, we had over two thousand individuals coming through the program. Um, and doing participating in, in a webinar, which makes us very satisfied because this is the bigger purpose of VentureLane being a platform and helping startups, but also it gets people to know us. And so we're, we're putting out a little bit more like content marketing and probably we will turn it a little bit around that it's not only referrals, but that actually people hear from us, have maybe been in some of our sessions and come back to us and apply for, for a spot at VentureLane. 
What are some of the things that you're you're teaching or talking about to to the startups? What what, do, what does a startup in that stage need that that already has a little bootstrapped uh, you know revenue or, or or has some capital and they're trying to prep for a for a Series A and notoriously right these Series A get larger and you know it's harder and more metrics are involved so you have to get pretty focused you got to have a a, a more solid f- product that actually speaks to an audience, right? But h- how do you help them with that? Yeah. So we found there's actually really five different areas uh, that it, it always comes over and over again. You know, if you don't have, if you're missing out on one of those, you know, you, you see that things are not going according to plan. So one is obviously um, uh, the the obvious is fundraising. You know, if you don't have any funds, you can do you can do the bootstrapping, but still, it's it's probably the preferred route for most of the companies. So we do a lot of we do a lot of uh, workshops, sessions. We had probably in the meantime probably the top thirty uh, funds uh, or VC companies here at VentureLane uh, over the last one and a half years. So we're trying to not only present these guys, but actually put them in touch with our people. Um, then uh, the other thing is go to market is a big one. So how do you uh, how do you take your MVP and how do you get it out there? So we're working together with a couple of really excellent mentors. We built a mentor pool of probably about 200 people right now, which is really awesome. And Boston has been really great opening the arms and saying like, how can I help? This is, you know, and I that was... I. You asked me before what, what what about me coming here to Boston. That really wowed me. That was really special. Um, product built. Uh, at that stage, I, my gut feel is that over time in the last years, the building the product became less of a focus. You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, building the product was the essential root of a company uh, in the tech space. Nowadays, as you have so many low-code environments, uh, you know, that is a little bit less so many companies that start with us already have an MVP, have a product out there. So it's more about the fine-tuning, the go-to-market and fundraising. The fourth one is a hiring, so finding a good talent and retaining it. And I would count culture, uh, so the company culture, your vision, your mission, your values into that bucket because it's like how do you, re- how do you create a good culture, how do you min- attract great talent. How do you find these guys? But also, how do you keep them on board and keep them happy and productive? Um, and you know, and, and making them develop their character and their personality. And the third, the fifth one is probably a bigger bucket um, of strategic planning, finances, things like that, uh, which I do a lot. So we do a lot of workshops with uh, around OKRs, uh, setting the operating system for the company getting them ready for a board uh, that they can inform on a six weeks cadence, for example, or every, every quarter. So getting the processes in place where you come back over and over again, like what is my North star? What are the priorities? What are we doing? And how do, how does this involve and how do you manage uh, and lead your team that is constantly evolving and growing? What about on the other side? Uh, you must have surely reflected a little bit on how a startup should assess the various resources available to them, because especially in Boston, that is becoming a bit of an issue, right? There's competition over the startups. So yes, it may be hard to get a Series A, 
but it is not hard to be invited to give a pitch. And it is not hard to get mentors who are more than interested in advising your startup in some capacity. Uh, some of them obviously want to charge for their services. Others rope you into some sort of program. Um, and they're not always fantastic for the startup because there's a time commitment involved. So you, you also are giving away something. You're giving your time at the very minimum. You may also be paying a, a ticket sometimes, right, to, to join all of these various programs. What should a startup think about when they're thinking, I'm going to join this environment versus that environment, or I'm going to join them all, or, or I'm going to join not, none of them? Well, first of all, uh, I think it, and it goes for many, saying no, sometimes it's much more important than saying yes, uh, or what, what to say yes, so what to say no, if you, if, and, and that brings me to the qualification here. If you have a clear understanding what your personal needs as a, if you're a founder, or what your company needs are, what the needs are, number one. Number two, what are those needs? Can you, uh, you know, fulfill with your own resources within the company? And, you know, sometimes as you start out with two, three, four people, you need to wear 10 hats and you have plenty of things to do that you have no idea about, possibly. So be very strategic. Um, be opportunistic, but but also be strategic. So, but only being opportunistic of just, you know, getting every advice that you can, probably really not leading to to what you want. So my my advice here would be really find out what are the areas that you really need uh, help with. Is it, you know, if you're a non-technical founder, maybe you want to have somebody on the technical side. If you haven't worked in this industry before, maybe get an industry expert in. Wherever your uh, challenges are or possibly also your weaknesses, make sure that that those are covered. And my, my, my advice here would be speak to a bunch of people, see what makes sense and how to fill this in. Uh, aggregate this a little bit, maybe to a circle of possibly five people, uh, advisors. You know, you might have still lots more, uh, you know, angels or others that, that are possibly investors. But in an ideal scenario, actually, there's a big overlap here. And then uh, make it formal and, and rather earlier than later, Find a structure that is like a board structure where you come together, where you're responsible, uh, uh, putting together a deck and and reporting on on KPIs. Make yourself, um, uh, you know, make yourself uh, responsible for for your actions and have somebody poking holes into that. So the sooner you have that, even if it doesn't need to be like a super formal structure, but like a, a structure where you meet like every six weeks, maybe every every two two months, uh, six uh, every six weeks for about two two hours, going through the KPIs, talking about strategy, getting some feedback, maybe uh, invite one or two or three people that are close to your business, know you, and can you know fill your need gaps. Uh, that is, I think, the the best the best scenario. And then on top of it, if you have smart um, Investors, I saw a lot of investors, VC companies and angels making a, a great difference, pointing things out, uh, opening their network uh, down to, you know, opening the network for the next funding round. So this is something that is definitely, you know, there's a lot of networking involved and getting and finding the right people. Once you get that set up, I think you, you will have a really good chance to not only survive, but to thrive. 
Christian, this podcast is, uh, is, is about the emerging future and we think a lot about what might be able to uh, come out of the next decade in particular. I know you uh, are involved in various startup surveys and there, there was the startup genome study that was just out this summer. And so there is some emerging data. On the other hand, there are these events like the COVID situation that are, are come out of left field. How do you see the next decade evolving for various startup ecosystems? I mean, let's maybe start with Boston, but you know, if you are in a startup ecosystem as a participant or you want to tap into it in some way as a corporate, what is going to happen overall to these various startup ecosystems? Is it a viable uh, business model really to to kind of engage in a startup ecosystem at this time? Or do you see some sort of threats on the horizon where it's going to become less sustainable to, mm. to, to be kind of in, in this explorative mode and either tapping into startups or, or, or just kind of keep starting companies with, yeah. with all that you need, these 200 things you need to constantly tap into? Well, let me, let me maybe take, take a step back. And I think uh, the current situation, so we're in, in month six of, of a pandemic uh, that showed, has clearly shaped one trend is we will come out of this very different in a very different operation mode. So I really think like if, if there was, if we still needed any proof that we have a golden age of automation, then that was probably the last, that was the last indicator that we needed. And if you look into how the markets currently react, so all of a sudden the gates to IPOs open, tech IPOs open again, uh, if you really look into the big indices, like who is doing well, it's the tech companies. That is the anticipation that automation and software products and tech will actually uh, get a huge push. And therefore the economy, and let's not forget this, this is important for the whole economy, gets a huge efficiency push. Because, you know, now in the US we have millions and millions of unemployed people so before you bring somebody back, you will probably ask yourself, well, do I bring this person back in the same capacity as before? Or will I maybe change something in the in this in a certain setup? And there's so many things from from education to uh, manufacturing to all of that stuff that that just needs this rethinking. The tools were already there, but maybe it was more of a dull pain than an acute pain, and now it became a really acute pain. So why did I say that? Because I believe no big company and no corporate can actually allow themselves not to be part of that. Now I've been, you know, I've been in, I had three exits with three companies. We got uh, bought up uh, in one and we, you know, we joined a $15 billion company. It was interesting to see the inside. And you can also see that, that as a bigger company, you need the fresh, the fresh blood and the fresh new ideas of, of startups, entrepreneurs, and young, young companies. So I think, and there's, there's few that really do a good job of, of bringing uh, startups in and make them part of their business model in a way, you know, obviously tech companies, but uh, you see like uh, people like Walmart, they have their own labs and they're, they're putting money into companies that are strategically valuable for themselves. And what they want to do, it's not even about owning that company or that technology. It is, I have access uh, to this technology first. I can see what this does to me. 
And therefore, I don't need to actually pay my own F&E department. I can just volunteer to be a pilot when I'm really closely working together, with, be it with an accelerator or if I'm doing my own labs or whatever that is. So I think these days, the environment that we're having, the innovation will, will, uh, will be more anticipated than ever. And it is a given that technology in the next months, years will play a major, major role in transformation. So for big corporate, I would say, if you're not, if you haven't done it and put your feelers out yet, get involved, get your people involved and also create an, an atmosphere within your company that allows people to come up with ideas and great innovation. So absolutely. I think this is, this is the time. If not now, if you haven't seen it yet, then this is the time. <laughs> All right. On that note, Christian, very optimistic uh, tone you're striking here during a pandemic. I like that. Um, thanks so much for uh, for sharing your your wisdom, and uh, you know, wish you the best with Venture Lane. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck. Stay healthy. You have just listened to episode forty of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was evolving startup ecosystems. Our guest was Christian Nagel, founder of VentureLane, business angel and expert on go-to-market strategies, communication, and international rollout. In this conversation, we talked about tribal community building, networking, funding, scaling startups mid and post COVID-19, startup hubs, and critical mass, innovating in edge cities, the EU versus the US versus Asia, learning from failure, angel investing, mentoring, and we talked about the tech community in Boston. My takeaway is that you cannot get around the human factor in community building, protecting the positive aspects of tribalism whilst still achieving scale is key to all startup ecosystems, particularly as COVID-19 limits traditional and formal meetups. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.